1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. mobilecom
0: Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring. The flooring experts. michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX.
1: that time of night you can't stay uptight so come and join the people that am
0: feeling all right here on oh burn out america oh burn america oh here we are yet again welcome back and thanks for spending that time with us on KMOX. We have another hour live tonight. And if you want to uh, call in, you can. But this hour, we do have an interview with Dr. Kapil Parak. He's a cardiologist uh, trained with John Hopkins University. John Hopkins also works for Google. And I think the book, I have a copy of it right here Uh, John Hopkins Press Health Book, which is pretty cool. And he's a practicing cardiologist. So he knows this thing or two about searching for ailments. He's the author of a book called Searching for Health, the smart way to find information online and put it to use. So Dr. Parak is gonna join us after the break. KMOX.com has the story about the porch pirates and the Missouri bill that is out there. Knowing that state lawmakers are just as frustrated as probably you are, and the idea that someone can come and steal the packages right off of your front porch is pretty frustrating. Knowing that in a lot of times, What can the police do about it? If you have one of those cameras, you might be able to identify who the person is if you know who they are. But then really what happens after that? Are the police going to go around with the resources of, okay, who stole your $15 delivery that came from Amazon from today? Probably not. I mean, they got a lot of other things they could be doing with their time. So if you go to KMOX.com, a package theft has been abundant in Missouri. And here in St. Louis, they even do these studies and say that this is one of the worst areas when it comes to stealing of packages. The Missouri House passed a bill to make the first offense of mail theft a misdemeanor. I would say first offense should be a felony and punishable by, let's say they cut a finger off like they do in some of these other foreign countries. Good idea? Well, according to, <laughs> maybe that might be a little bit harsh, but uh, it wouldn't feel too bad if they lost a finger stealing a package. So the mail theft uh, misdemeanor, any repeat offenses would be facing a felony. I don't know about facing, I would say automatic. I mean, I'm not a big fan of minimums when it comes to sentencing. I don't like that there's a mandatory minimum. But when it comes to stealing packages, it's such a lousy thing to do. I would have no problem whatsoever if you just made it an instant felony. According to the bill sponsor from St. Charles, 43% of people in the state say they've had a package stolen from their front porch in 2020. And it says ensuring clarity and consistency in the application of the law. Law enforcement entities can prosecute people as necessary for violating the personal property that is being delivered to us. If they were to reach into your mailbox, what would that penalty be? Because you're talking about a felony then working through the mail. says, why not just make it equal to stealing mail out of your mailbox? Make it exactly. uh, And then the value of it. Why don't you say 10 times the value of what's in the box and the person that you stole it from is paid back or whatever. It'd be all right. House bill 825 would include stolen letters, postcards, packages, bags, and other sealed articles as grounds for stronger punishments. Make it as strong as you possibly can. I would 100% endorse that. No problems whatsoever. All right, coming up after the break, Dr. Kapil Parak, a cardiologist trained with Jen Hopkins, works at Google, author of a book called Searching for Health. Have you ever wondered the right way to search for an ailment? It's not a bad idea to know that you could have a little bit of uh, training to search, and it'll do you a lot better in the long run. So we'll talk to him about that after the break on Overnight America KMOX. Dependable. Traffic and weather
1: together on the 10s. Weekday mornings on The Voice of St. Louis. KMOX. Hey,
0: joining us now is a practicing cardiologist, also trained at John Hopkins and works at Google, Dr. Kapil Parak. Thank you for coming on to KMOX. Thank you for having me. I think a lot of people do online searches for anything that comes up when it comes to their bodies. Um, I think that a lot of times if they're experiencing anything that's out of the ordinary, the first thing they do is pop it in to a search engine. So it's, it's fascinating to see your new book titling Searching for Health, because I think everyone's pretty much have done that.
1: You know, that's part of the reason we wrote it. It's a, such a common experience and unfortunately not always a good one. Um, many people search for information online, but don't always um, leave from that experience empowered and understanding how to use that information, uh, you know, to, to talk with their doctor and to make health decisions. So we're trying to fill that gap between what you find online and the conversations that you have with your doctor and how to make that information more useful and make that process more seamless.
0: Now, tell me if you think this is true or not. I feel like most people are lazy when it comes to searching. So let's say something happens, and they immediately say, oh, I wonder what this is, so I'll do a quick search. And then they'll take the first link on Google, they'll click it, and they'll say, this, is, this has got to be it. And they only go, like, one link deep. So they're not properly getting diagnosed.
1: You know, you raise a really important point. So I wouldn't call it laziness. It's just how we're trained to search, right? This is the framework that we talk about. So there's a, a framework that the average person uses when searching. So if you're going to go out to dinner, you're looking for one restaurant, or if you're going on vacation, you're looking for one place to stay. And so we're sort of um, our framework of searching is really find One answer to something that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. When you um, go talk to a doctor about some symptoms you might be having, doctors think in the context of a list of possibilities that we call a differential diagnosis. And So the idea is you, know, you can obviously go to, go to medical school using a book, but what you can do is start using some of those frameworks to inform the way you approach the situation. Mm-hmm. So what we recommend is, you know, sure, go ahead and, and click that first couple of links and see what that first condition is, but then think what else could it be, and then go back and find some of the other conditions, and then we provide tools to help you sort through, well, which one is more likely or which one should you take more seriously, and then what do you do about it? Do mm-hmm. you make an appointment right away? And there's so many options. Do you try and call a triage line, telemedicine?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, you know, ways to think about that process as well.
0: You know, I, uh, what do you do for Google, by the way?
1: Yeah, thanks. I've been at Google um, six years. I worked on search for three years. And now I work on uh, smart watches and products like that.
0: Okay, so I am someone that's a little bit uh, skeptical when it comes to online privacy, someone that really tries to do everything they can to try to keep their online everything private just for the sake of, you know, uh, you, you know, you just want to be careful. So... I always wondered about this, and I was always curious about this, because I feel like when you search for something or whatever, maybe you're online and you type something in somewhere on your computer, it's so strange because all of a sudden an ad can pop up and it could somehow try to diagnose you, as in the ad will pop up and it'll say something along the lines of, feeling shortness of breath, why don't you try this or whatever. Or like Facebook is really interesting because they'll put it inside of your feed and they'll say, you know, have you seen a doctor about this lately or whatever? And I feel like sometimes the the big tech companies are kind of like picking apart pieces of information, little breadcrumbs you've put in there, and then they piece it together on your behalf, almost like it's diagnosing you. And then it tries to suggest it back to you. Is there any truth to that? Does that happen? So,
1: you know, I think you raise really important points around privacy and advertising and so on. Um, I have to clarify, this is uh, a personal effort, so I don't speak on behalf of Google. This right. is sort of something I did out of my own interest. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I can also tell you that you know from the times uh, that I worked on search products, we did advertise against some of the products that we built. But generally speaking, this raises a larger issue, which is whenever you find a piece of information that, you anal- that you're looking at, right? A, a piece of content, an ad, anything that you're looking at, a website, I think it's important to think through who wrote that and why did they write it? Hmm. Every every time you see, you know, something that's touting a supplement or a medication, um, I think understanding where that came from and what their motivation might be could help you sort of understand how to place that in the context of the, the journey that you're on. And sometimes, you know, it might be valuable, you never know. But oftentimes, what could be useful is to check with an authoritative site like a so anything that ends in a .gov, like the CDC, for example, mm-hmm. or things like that, um, or you know, large medical centers like the Mayo Clinic or or one of those. And what you can see is if they also recommend that for your condition, then go talk to your doctor and see if that's right for you. But if the only place you find that recommend recommendation, that treatment on that condition, is you know, a couple of sponsored websites, then probably take that with a grain of salt and and you know, think twice before falling through on those kinds of things.
0: Yeah. Dr. Kapil Parak is joining us, and he's got a book called Searching for Health, The Smart Way to Find Information Online and Put It to Use. And you can go and find that book online now. By the way, people wanted to find this book. Where can they look?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's available in bookstores, uh, online on Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Um, And we have a website, searchingforhealth.org. We have um, uh, not just uh, references to buy the book, but also some free resources um, that are included in the book, but you can print off uh, directly from our website if you wanted to
0: use them. You know what I found a lot of times there's there's all kinds of different changes in the medical field, and you mentioned telemedicine. During mm-hmm. the past year with COVID, it was like that with uh, my wife who became pregnant, and a lot. Sometimes um, they opted not to go in in person if it wasn't something that they were going to monitor or you know check the baby out for mm-hmm. whatever. So they would opt to okay, we're just going to do a quick uh, checkup here because you don't actually have to come in an office. My parents right. like that too; they find different ways to hook it up. And and I think a lot of people like that idea. I think it's like, okay, if I don't have to physically be there, this is a nice convenience for me. I'm sure it's nice for the doctors. I think a lot of people may be opting for that in the future, and I, I feel like it's a pretty effective way. So what do you think about that trend?
1: Well, first of all, congratulations. Uh, I'm happy for you. you. Um, and I think in terms of the trend itself, I think, you know, for sure, it's a great tool to have in our toolbox. Um, telemedicine's been around for easily 15 plus years, but it's only this year that we've seen a take off. And we mentioned telemedicine along with some of the other tools that are available in our book, some of which have been around even longer, but many people don't know about them. So um, for example, we talk about triage lines which have been around since the 80s, maybe even the 70s. And these are telephone lines that are manned by a nurse, um, usually, and they have um, ways to sort through like your symptoms. So let's say you're searching for something, you get concerned that you might have something serious, you can call a triage line, And they can walk you through sort of what you might have and whether you need to go into an emergency room or urgent care. And I think telemedicine is sort of the next version of that where not only can they listen to you, but they can see you and and interact uh, virtually and also determine whether something more serious needs in-person monitoring or something that you can do in the convenience of your home. Mm -hmm. So for sure, it's, it's wonderful to have that expanded toolbox to help meet people where they're at.
0: I know. This is great. I'm I'm able to ask all kinds of questions to a doctor, a specialist of these things. So this is a a nice interview. I'm really enjoying this. Um, I was curious about this side of it, too, because in America... Sometimes we wonder what's the best way to fight whatever. And we've been talking a lot about COVID over the past year and how to fight it. And and it's it's interesting because at first we didn't know too much. And then we said, okay, maybe if we take this uh, hydrochloroquine, maybe we do remdesivir. There's all these other things. And then later you say, okay, maybe it wasn't that effective. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But sometimes I feel like the harder conversation in America is, you know, if you really want to fight this thing, Your success rate goes through the roof if you're Uh, dropping pounds like if you're overweight right now and you but we don't make those hard conversations a lot of times we say we can find a drug for that but we don't have the harder conversation which is you got to drop your uh, weight you got to drop your cholesterol things like that because that takes a lot of different effort so I'm curious from a doctor's perspective do you find sometimes we hide the harder conversations or maybe um, in in general we don't have harder conversations to a mass public but maybe a one-on-one doctor situation would you know,
1: that's a great point, and I, I appreciate the question. I feel like it is hard to have some of those conversations, and and we try to cover that in the book, and, and one of those hard conversations is around lifestyle changes, and we have a whole chapter on that. And, you know, it's not, it's not potentially right for everybody, but for some people, they can make a huge difference. Um, we cite an example of somebody who I know personally who, you know, um, got diagnosed with diabetes and was very determined to do the things that he could in, in his lifestyle to make those changes and turn his disease around completely. That said, it's not all, you know, it's not right for everyone. If you get diagnosed with cancer, there's only so much you could do from a lifestyle perspective. Mm-hmm. Another sort of set of hard conversations that we are also include in the book that I feel are not happening enough are end of life discussions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this idea that um, what might your choices be towards the end of life and what might be you know, um, things that you might want for yourself. And how do you document that? Who do you share that with? Um, just so that, you know, if that situation ever arises, it's covered because all too often that happens and there isn't any of that documentation and family members have to deal with it. It's a very painful situation. And so it's sort of like, like you said, these are the questions people should be asking. These are the hard, hard conversations we should be having, but people don't necessarily search for this. They're, they're, trying to find the quicker solutions.
0: Yeah, they want to know if there's a pill or there's just something right. real quick or whatever it is. This is a really informative book. It's called Searching for Health, the Smart Way to Find Information Online, and Dr. Kapil Parak. We're going to continue with him right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. <laughs> Dr. Kapil Parak is a cardiologist who trained at John Hopkins. He also works at Google. He's got a new book called Searching for Health, The Smart Way to Find Information Online and Put It to Use. Real fascinating book because it's broken down in a way that talks about some of the common questions or concerns, not necessarily trying to diagnose yourself per se, but here are the things that I know you're thinking about when it comes to medicine. A lot of times even on a consumer level of what happens after you talk to a doctor. And I've always been curious about this. With the uh, coronavirus and it changing and learning more about it as we go on and getting the vaccine and, and to where we are as a society, things like that. A lot of times when people search for things, they often find bad advice (laughs) because there's there's things in there that they're they're directed to. And it may be within a social circle or whatever. And they look at that and they say, "Okay, this is what I need to do. And it's not necessarily the best advice. So how do you know you're getting the best advice?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Something, uh, you know, I think about is when you look at content, there's the educational or informational part of content. And then there's an emotional part of content. And I think what ends up happening is when you read content that's emotional or uh, absorb it either as a video or audio, and you connect with it, you resonate with what they're saying. I'm a parent, you know, um, and somebody writes about kids. I'm like, oh, yeah, they get the situation. They understand what it feels like to be in my shoes. And then once once they establish that emotional connection, they can slip in facts and, and information in that content, which is much easier for me to then say, oh, that sounds like it might be true, and then buy into that information. And I think it's important for people to separate those two out. And even if you make a strong emotional connection, you really believe in what this person is saying
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's with you. When you come across more factual information, more decision-making points of like what you're going to do about something related to your health, that's a, a good point to stop and double-check. You know, Is this advice offered by other authorities, or, you know, is this the only place, the, if the only place you're hearing that kind of advice is blogs in your social media circles and nothing on, for example, the CDC or any of the authoritative websites, then that might be a cause for concern. And one way to sort of sort through that is to talk to your doctor, whether it's a telemedicine visit or in person to say, you know, here's what I'm concerned about and and, and try and get that advice. And we talk through in the book, Look, you're going to have a short visit. Most doctors' visits are too short to. Uh, and so, how do we use that visit, come up with an agenda, come up with a plan, understand what the doctor's trying to get out of? They have an agenda too, but respect that and find a way to collaborate through this rather than, you know, sort of this sometimes almost combative situation where you're trying to get a word and they're trying to do their thing and mm-hmm. it's not quite as uh, collaborative.
0: Mm. Dr. Kapil Parak is joining us in his book, Searching for Health, The Smart Way to Find Information Online and Put It to Use. And you're very well versed in the medical field. And have you ever found yourself going online and going to WebMD yourself?
1: Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. you know, there's research that's been done on this. And doctorate search online too. Um, the difference is doctors have different frameworks of thinking. So patients, um, when, when folks search sort of regularly, they they have a certain way of looking for information, kind of like I described earlier. Doctors have a more technical way of looking at it. So when we look at websites, we tend to go to more research articles or more technical websites, or sometimes even the questions are more technical, like what is the dose of this drug that I'm about to give, or what's the highest dose, or, you know, things like that. Um, but for sure, doctors definitely use the internet to search.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I was looking at a couple of different chapters, and it, what's interesting about your book, And it's called Searching for Health is that a lot of it is, okay, what what are you going through right now? Not necessarily, you know, your medical symptoms, but here's, here's an example. Paying for medications. So I think that if anyone has ever got a prescription from a doctor and they go to wherever they normally get their prescriptions and they get to the counter and it's more money than they thought it would be, the first thing they think of is, I wonder if I can get this somewhere else for cheaper. Like, you know, because that's just the way people think. And it's interesting that you cover pretty much everything in this book that go through people's minds. And, you know, even things like... This It says, you know, if the cost of your drug's too high, consider asking the pharmacist to ring it up without insurance because it might be cheaper. I never would have thought of things like that. And I I feel like a lot of this book is just, okay, here's things that you know you're going to encounter at some time. Maybe hold on to this book. And when you do, open it up and take a read because being more informed is going to treat you well.
1: You know, you hit the nail on the head right there. It's exactly it. Like, we want this to be a resource. Read through it if you're not going through anything Put it away and like the, the, the day you are, you can pick it up and take a look um, and we try to cover all sorts of things that people search for because that's the nature of this information is that it's you know healthcare is one of those things where the needs are episodic you th- you're going through something you have a lot of needs like if you've got a new diagnosis and you're overwhelmed and you got to learn everything about it get new medicine, learn how to live that life and it sort of goes away and you're either in a chronic state, we've learned how to handle the disease of the disease goes away until something new happens. Either mm. you, know, you have a complication or a second diagnosis or something like that.
0: I was going to ask about some of these home remedies. My grandma was really big into them. Uh, she loved Reader's Digest, and she would clip things <laughs> off and put them on her fridge. And she would have things like, do you have a toothache? Put a ice cube at the webbing between your thumb and forefinger, and that'll get rid of it. Or do you have uh, a headache? So take a clothespin and put it on your left uh, pinky toe. You know, it's weird stuff like that. These these home things that have been passed down the wives' tales generations to sure. generations. Have you ever found any of those to be like, well, actually, that does work? Have you ever found that some of these home remedies are super effective? In fact, you would actually recommend it to other people that may have an ailment.
1: You know, it's really interesting that you ask that. I've not heard the ones you mentioned in particular, but I think there's a whole world of complementary and alternative medicines. And um, by by just ignoring that, you sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater. And there are some um, there is science that's starting to emerge around some of these tech, um, some of these um, approaches, maybe and or specific compounds that actually can be quite effective. So two specific ones come to mind. Um, one we cover in the book, which is is an ancient um chinese um, medicine that was used to treat malaria Um, it's called art medicine art medicine Mm -hmm. Um, and essentially you know over the last two or three decades scientists have figured out how to extract the active compound of that and turn it into an active medicine that's now used all over the world for malaria Mm -hmm. so you you can't just ignore these things altogether. that said there's a balance there because on the other hand you'll find people who say this is all natural. It has no side effects and it'll cure you of X, Y, and Z. You know, claims like that are really broad and hard to substantiate. So I think you have to do your research. You have to be careful what you buy into. And and if that's the path you want to go down, then, you know, talk to your doctor if you if you'd like try and find an integrative medicine specialist that tends to combine these approaches and has expertise in that. But it's it's one of those things where there is some truth to it, but there's also a lot of you know, that you got to navigate that carefully.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. Now, I was making those up. It was something along those lines. I don't remember <laughs> specifically what was on the fridge. But then again, she probably clipped those things before I was born, and it was probably acceptable to smoke on a plane and when you're pregnant and stuff like that. Sure. You know, the, the times, they change a little. Um, <laughs> searching for Thank Health you. is the name of the book, The Smart Way to Find Information Online, and Put It to Use. Dr. Kapil Parak. And again, if people wanted to find your book, where can they look?
1: Yeah, no, thank you for asking. So searchingforhealth.org is a website. Um, it's on amazon.com or barnesandnobles.com and you know local bookstores. Um, the one other thing is like get a copy for yourself and if you know somebody who might be uh, newly diagnosed with something or going through a health condition and you don't know how to help them, this could be a nice thing as a tool to help folks who are in your circle who are going through um, health issues.
0: Yeah, this is the type of book I would give for my grandma and say, you can throw away those old reader giant desk uh, pages <laughs> that are uh, on the fridge, and you could probably look at this, and this will help you find the right resource. But yeah, the, the resources, it's unbelievable the amount of things we have at our fingertips anymore with the Internet. Before, you would have yeah. to have an encyclopedia, or it's a lot of knowledge, or a friend who knows someone right. that could answer these type of questions. But it's so much easier to be able to search for these things. And It's kind of a blessing and a curse at the same time because sometimes you get to the wrong answer because, you know, you right. click the wrong link or whatever. So it's interesting times. If, if we were to forecast the future and the way things look, um, what do you think it's, it's going to be? What do you think is going to happen in the medical field? Do you think we're going to go to all telemedicine all the time? Do you feel like the, uh, do you feel like there's, you know, the walk-in clinics are super popular right now. The ones that are yeah. like, the you just don't even set an appointment. You just sign a list. You go in. They accept most health care and insurance and primary doctors. You don't see them as much anymore because people just do the walk-in. So do you think there's going to be a big change in medicine over the next couple of decades?
1: Oh, uh, for sure. I mean, medicine is evolving and it has evolved over time. And it, it's sometimes in fits and starts. So we've seen more happen with telemedicine in the last year than we have in the last 15 years um, because of the pandemic. Um, and so I do think like, like technologies like telemedicine will move things forward. We're seeing a lot of exciting things happening out of artificial intelligence and that help with image processing, for example. And so I think we'll see a lot of things that will start to change. I do think, though, that the human component of medicine is incredibly important. I still see patients. I find building that personal connection and understanding them is such an important part of that um, healing journey. And, And I think that part is going to stay the same, even as technology helps us do our job better.
0: Yeah. Even from my own experience... I moved here to St. Louis four years ago, and I never found a primary doctor, mostly because I'm pretty healthy, and if I ever needed something, I'd just go to the, one of the walk-in clinics. But I always said, you know, I, I should, I got to do this because, you know, regular checkups, things like that, I'm getting, I wouldn't say up there, up there in age, but I'm getting to the point where it'd be smart for me to do so. And it's interesting, books like this, there's so many great pieces of advice, things you're going through, uh, and, you know, this will probably ease a lot of fears. Searching for Health, the Smart Way to Find Information Online and Put It to Use, Dr. Peel Parak, thank you for coming on to KMOX. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure to do this. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line on Overnight America, KMOX. Overnight America with Ryan Recker is sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com.
1: On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX.
0: All right, got a couple more minutes. Let's um, bring this one story. Governor DeSantis in Florida signs the anti-riot bill into law. Doesn't want to have to deal with the repercussions of what's going on across the country and then finding that people want to use that as an opportunity to destruct their own communities. So the governor began campaigning for the measure last year in response to the protest over police violence. Uh, DeSantis signed the new law into the county and awaits... Um, oh, this is, um happened actually before the Derek Chauvin case verdict came through with the three guilties. So he signed this in. I don't know if he thought that there would be some violence associated with it, but in the case of three guilties, it seems to be a quieter night in Minneapolis from last check. And even the news agencies there reporting from different angles didn't look like there's a ton of activity. I think we'd have seen things a lot worse in these large cities, including starting with Minneapolis tonight, if there were some not-guilties there. And just as indicated by Maxine Waters, her trying to get her wishes in that case. So the new law went into uh, into effect. Under the law, penalties will be enhanced for crimes committed during a riot or violent protest. It allows authorities to hold arrested protesters until a first court appearance, and it establishes new felonies for organizing or participating in a violent protest demonstration the thing that signed, when i look at this says allows authorities to hold arrest protesters until first court appearance i think about a, a couple of different things and one of the first things that came to mind was that after the different violent uh, protests and the uh, riots that were here in st louis you had police make a fair amount of arrests all of which seemed to have went nowhere with circuit attorney kim gardner her first Action was, well, you know, we can only hold them for 24 hours and there wasn't enough for us to hold them on. But we reserve the right to prosecute them in the future. Yeah, like that happens. But that was uh, something that was pretty concerning because you had a night where they were burning buildings and shooting at police officers and killing uh, innocent people, including the Captain Dorn. Pretty terrible acts of violence that were committed that night. Uh, Despicable, terrible acts of violence. And. What you found is that outside of murder, I don't think anyone was held accountable for that. We were watching it all live. I mean, Fox 2 had the chopper up there watching people come in and out of buildings that were just grabbing things. There were uh, people setting fires live on television, uh, watching the 7-Eleven burn down and all of those things. So it, it brings into the attention that there needs to be more resources to punish the people. That are caught at these things and really discourage people from going out if there's a riot going on that's not a peaceful protest if they're burning buildings down that's not a protest that you want to be a part of and listen let this be a reminder that if the people around you are doing things that are illegal you're going to get caught up in it and it's going to be difficult for the police to tell the difference between you know someone that just lit a building on fire uh, maybe it's the person next to you and the person that was just there witnessing watching this sort of thing Stay away from that. Remove yourself from that situation. Don't be caught up in the nonsense and the garbage, because how many times do you find people think, oh, you know what? I'm just going to I'll just stand here and I didn't do anything wrong. But the person next to me shooting at police, you might get hurt in the process. And it's unintended. And just get yourself out of there. As soon as someone does something illegal, get away from it. Don't be part of that because it's not a protest at that point. you become part of a riot. Ron DeSantis on that.
1: I think it's really remarkable. If you look at the breadth of this particular piece of legislation, it is the strongest anti-rioting pro-law enforcement piece of legislation in the country. And there's just nothing even close.
0: Yeah, not bad. I I think a lot of people look at this and say that there needs to be something in place. So you're not just sitting ducks out there as a police officer. And you feel like even if you were to make an arrest, the prosecutor wouldn't bring it up to begin with. That, that needs to stop. So here we are, uh, Governor DeSantis. Good for him. I, I know Florida is a little bit different from St. Louis, but there's so many these pretty radical people that are in offices, including here in St. Louis. And we find that the murder rates are skyrocketing in places. And he's probably recognizing this and saying, I don't want that happening in our major cities. This, this can't be. We don't want that. Maybe make a stand. Which case in point on Newsmax with anchor Greg Kelly, he had David Dorn's wife, Sergeant Ann Dorn on to talk about the verdict before it came out, knowing that the verdict of the Derek Chauvin case would be coming out here pretty soon. So he brought him on and wanted to talk about this because you heard the you you heard the words of Maxine Waters, a congresswoman from California, go out there and talk about getting aggressive and all of these things and confrontational and using these uh, codes that say that, hey, when things get bad and it's not the way that we want it to be, uh, we're the ones that are the arbitrator of uh, what should happen. So it's up to us to decide if we burn a building down or not or, you know, harm someone else in the act or whatever. So she's out there marching and uh, not so much marching. I, I don't think she moved all that much, but showing up, taking advantage of the situation and then flying off, I'm sure, on a private jet back to California So she gets out there, she puts all this language out there, and they were asking about that because that type of language and that type of mindset is what led to the death of Captain Dorn here in the city of St. Louis. So before the verdict was read, knowing that things could go pretty violent across the country, starting in Minneapolis tonight, luckily that wasn't the case with the violence, uh, Newsmax anchor Greg Kelly was asking about this. What's the message you would have for President Joe Biden? If you would have a message for him at this moment, I said earlier in the show, I think he should be jumping up and down, telling people to, you know, not riot. And I'm not getting that message, Mrs. Dorn. No, there should be a a nationwide outcry for peace, uh, for calm, you know, wait for the verdict. Let the courts work this out. Um, We don't need any more lives lost. We don't need any more businesses destroyed, families torn apart. I mean, not only does our family suffer, but um, anybody who's known David, who's touched by him, Who's ever worked for him? Their life was torn apart. And then the young man who killed him, his family's now suffering because he's going away. You know, it just destroys too many people. Going away. Let's hope they throw the key away. And going out there with a loaded weapon and seeing how everything played out didn't seem like there was a lot of hesitation to take someone's life that night. Pretty despicable, terrible night in the city of St. Louis. And as they lost a family member, recognizing what led to it, going around saying there's not a lot of, um, not a lot of uh, Democrats like Maxine Waters is a great example, calling for peace in a moment like this. Uh, no, not so much. Uh, they're out there saying that uh, this no justice, no peace stuff means that if we don't agree with justice, as in what the courts decide on in this case, then it gives us... Uh, the justification to go out and commit these terrible acts. And what a what a living testament of what a terrible message that is with Sergeant Ann Dorn standing up there and saying, that's, the, that's what led to the murder of my husband. So no, you should be calling for peace in a moment like this, no matter what happens. And that's the hard part. That's the hard pill to swallow for some people, no matter what happens. Captain Dorn's son, Brian, was also on the show and was asked about this. Brian, uh, again, the lack of proactive, you know, let's stop this uh, kind of positioning is baffling to me.
1: Yeah, it it is very baffling because – there's nothing wrong with going out, peaceful protesting and everything, but when it turns to looting and rioting, that's something that we can't stand for. I mean, it's, it's unnecessary, and a lot of people get hurt, and that fretful morning, June 2nd, uh, my dad lost his life because of some looting and rioting
0: instead of peaceful protests. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. All right. Well, that'll do it for us here on Overnight America. The replay hour is coming up next, and you're going to hear a couple of different uh, interviews, including Tom Sullivan, who gives us an update from this county council meeting. Pretty big development when it comes to tracking that COVID money. And Dr. Don Vaughn is the head of product, and visibly he's going to join us to talk about a new survey they conducted. Enjoy the rest of your night. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye.